You are listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson, episode 51. Hey there, you're listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast. My name is Angela Henderson, and on this show, we talk about improving your business, life, or both by having amazing and rich conversations with brilliant guests who will inspire you and who will give you tips and tricks to help you grow both in life and in business. Hey there, Angela here, and welcome back to another episode of Business and Life Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Angela, from Angela Henderson Consulting, where I'm a business consultant helping women in business to develop the foundational framework and strategy they need to grow sustainable and profitable businesses. Today's episode is a super important episode, but also one of my longest episodes I've recorded to date, because my guest, Carl Taylor, has so much goodness you can't capture it in a 30-minute episode. He's going to share with you the powerful magic in building a business that works without you. He's also going to drop a serious truth bomb around the fact. If your business doesn't work without you, it is a job, but you don't have a business. Let that one sink in. In addition, he's also going to share one of my favorite frameworks that he's created and that I've seen to date, which is the four stages of removing you from your business. And he also shares so many other amazing golden nuggets. But before we jump into this episode, I just want to let you know that this episode is sponsored by my four-day, three-night exclusive women in business retreat. This particular retreat is an ability to allow us to have women really have the chance to connect, refocus, learn, and grow both in life and in business. This amazing event that I'm holding is going to be from October 24th through to October 27th, and it's going to be down at the Gold Coast here in Queensland, Australia, and it is an exclusive event with only 50 tickets being sold. Now, there are going to be eight of Australia's top female entrepreneurs speaking. We're also going to be surrounding yourself with amazing people that will lift you both up at the conference and after conference to daily masterminds, to get individualized help on your business from both your peers and the speakers, to amazing food, being able to sleep in and eat your meal uninterrupted. You're not going to want to miss this amazing, amazing opportunity. To learn more about this event and to purchase your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au and simply click on Retreat. From there, you're also going to be able to see all the amazing highlights from our amazing 2018 event. And you're also going to be able to see that we've got a six monthly payment plans in order to help with your cash flow. Now let's dig into this much needed episode around building a business that works without you. All right. Welcome to the show, Carl. Good to be here. Yeah, yeah. Now I know you have been traveling a lot. You've been in the Philippines with your team. Um, so where are you today? Are you back in Sydney? Are you on a beach somewhere? I know you like to work remotely at times. Where are you? I am in Sydney. I'm back home right now. Uh, it's one of the few weeks that in recent weeks I have been home. So I'm enjoying it. It's rainy today, but it's still nice to kind of just chill out at home. Still just a chill. Now, yeah, and it's raining here in Brisbane too, but I don't mind the rain after the hot, do you know what I mean, summer we had. It is nice to slowly ease our way into winter. Is it cold and rainy or just rainy? Uh, to be honest, I haven't been outside. So <laughs> I, I'd say in the, in the house, it's fine. Um, so right now it's it's plenty. I, I, I don't agree with you though about the tra- nice transition into winter. Oh, I'm, okay. actually, I'm actually planning on escaping winter. In June, I'm going to be going to Thailand for the month just to escape. Oh gosh. Okay. So you've had, you're, you're like, you're exiting. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaving the cold. Yeah. And whereabouts in Thailand are you going to be heading? I'll be in Chiang Mai. All right. Lovely. And any particular, like you're just going to be hanging there. Are you going by yourself with partner? Uh, yeah, I am going by myself. Originally it was going to be me and my partner. We were going for three months. Um, she got a job promotion, which was a huge opportunity for her, which meant she couldn't work remotely. So 
uh, I'm going now just for a month. I've got a friend that lives there, so going to kind of hang out with him. And uh, it's been been on my list for a while to, to live in Thailand. So just for a month, just kind of hang out. Well, and, yeah, that'll uh, be a fantastic opportunity. And again, goes with what we're going to be talking about today, about building a business that works without you. You know, when you do that, you're going to be able to have a lot more opportunities like living in Thailand for a month. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Now, now we first met originally uh, in the Maldives in September last year with James Shremko. And we had, uh, you know, seven days of fun. We learning, swimming in the ocean. It was pretty magnificent, really. Uh, and I had a, I was giggling when I was thinking about having you on the podcast because when I caught up with the crew down at James Shremko's event, they were, you know, we were, uh, we're sitting down to dinner and I looked at them. I was like, if they give me the fish option, I was like, I'm going to die. <laughs> so for those of you that don't know, I hate fish. And when we were in the Maldives, cause obviously you're in the Maldives, fish is, do you know what I mean? A lot of what they cook with over there. And we kept saying like, Ange doesn't eat fish, Ange doesn't eat fish. So anyways, we sit down and I swear I'm sitting by Tim and Jackie and Debbie and I get the fish dish and we're like, Oh, and so anyways, I was giggling today. When it's I was a sign. Like, it was a sign. I was like, no. And I remember you with you, like you two, you're like, what are we eating? So anyway, so the Maldives was super fun. And then we spoke at We Are Podcast together and right. we've got quite a few mutual friends in this particular space. It is a bit of a small world. Like I was telling you before, when I was at the conference a couple of weeks ago, your friend um, came up to me and was like, hey, you know, Carl, like it really is. We all are linked in some way, somehow at, uh, in the way that we work in this entrepreneurial space. Especially uh, in Australia. It's a, it's a small, small so much small in Australia. Yeah. And you have to do, I mean, you got to be able to network and get along with everyone, you know? So, and that's what I love about Australia is it is so small. Whereas again, in the US, there's just so many different states, so many different people, even politics plays a role in things I think over there, you know? So it is, it's a joy. Now, when I heard you, we are podcast, so I was telling you this before we start recording, you, you do this diagram, which we're going to get into. And I pull this diagram out all the time to my VIP clients, when I go to conferences, to my peers, because the way you explained about building a business that works for you really hit, like I've always kind of had it, but it was always quite hard to explain to people. And that's when I knew I needed to bring you on the podcast today, because listeners out there really need to be able to hear the wealth of knowledge that you have around, about building a business that works without you. But before we jump into that juicy conversation, I always ask my guests a particular question so that they can get to know a little bit about you from a personal side. And my question is, as I know you love reading, you're quite analytical um, and you are like constantly reading. And I want you to let us know what is your all-time favorite go-to book that you just love? Ooh, all-time favorite. Um, I could tell you what I most recently read. All right, that cool. Was, yep. That's a good start. Uh, so that was How to Be Rich by J. Paul Getty. It's a book I'd actually bought many years ago and started to read and then didn't finish reading it until I watched the, uh, there's a movie, uh, All, All for the Money or something like that, where J. Paul Getty, he, um, his grandson was, if you don't know, J. Paul Getty was for a long time one of the richest men in the world. And uh, he, his grandson was kidnapped and he refused to pay the ransom. And so that's what the movie was about. And it reminded me of the book. So I read that book and I really, really quite enjoyed it. It's, it's not about how to get rich. It's about, you know, when you are rich, the kind of the mentality and, and uh, how to think about things. And, and the thing I best took away from it was how he thinks about the reason that you, you want to create wealth. It's not about accumulating piles of cash. It's about how you then take that and invest it back into the economy to ultimately increase everyone's standard of living by employing more people, by investing in people's ideas or technologies that improve the world. I just really like the way he kind of put it uh, in perspective. So that that's the most recent book I read. Um, the in uh, the best book. Um, 
Like, is there, is there one that you find that you quote often or you go back and reference or it's was a foundational element of, you know, I mean, I don't know, starting your business or. Yeah, look, I would say uh, Billionaire in Training by okay. Brad Sugars was had a big lasting impact on me at a, at a very young age. Um, I would also say that, you know, some of the classics, um, Think and Grow Rich, people talk about that all the time. I think, you know, I don't agree with everything about the book, but uh, I think the general concepts are amazing um, and, and a great way of just thinking about how you, your thoughts and how you think about things can, can set up your reality. Um, Brad Sugars was a very big early influence to me. So I've got like, he's got like, I don't know, 15 books or something like that. I've read wow. them all. They're, they're all on my shelf. Um, they're very practical. Like this one's called like instant leads. You need more leads. You open the book and you flip through all these different strategies. Now it's a bit oh, cool. outdated. It's a, you know, it's, it was kind of pre-internet or back in early days of internet that the books were written. But, um, but I yeah, still, I, I still be, go to those. But there can still be a lot of value. I was speaking on James's about H2H marketing and there still is a lot of value in some of that old school techniques, right? That we forget about, I think, because we're, and again, as you know, like you own automation agency, which I'm all about automation. And again, getting yourself out of the business, but sometimes you still have to have little bits of human elements in there. And some of those old school practices can have those, do you know what I mean? That, that we don't see on a regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think also um, being able to look outside, the, especially you know, in people who are in the digital marketing world, which I know you and I, Ange, are very much in that world, that it can be very easy to start to forget that, you know what, radio ads can be super effective. TV mm-hmm. ads can be super effective with the right offer to the right audience. Like it's all valuable. You don't have to just think about you know, doing everything online. Facebook um, ads are in, exactly yeah. right. And it's like, again, if you're, if your ideal client is sitting in traffic for 45 minutes a day, and it's constantly going to be at that red light where the billboard is, and that's every single day, five days a week, you know, what, 20 days a month, then that billboard, if it's done correctly, like you said, could have an enormous amount of impact on your business. Exactly. Now, cool. Now, listen, that's, you know, your favorite book. So thank you for sharing that. But tell us a little bit about Carl Taylor, kind of your journey into entrepreneurship. You know, what is your current business, anything that's upcoming? And then we'll jump into the episode about building a business that works without you. Sure. So look, um, I've been in this business game for a while. I'm, I'm a fairly young guy. I mean, I suppose I'm not as young as I, I used to be, as, as all of us are, but uh, <laughs> I, I just I just recently turned 33. Yes. Um, but I started my first business when I was 15. So I've been at this business game for 18 years now. And, you know, over those 18 years, if anyone else listening has been in for a similar time, it's journeys of highs and lows. That's the entrepreneur journey, right? Uh, I've made a lot of money. I've lost a lot of money. I've been, uh, you know, not paying myself for years. I've, um, you know, been working overtime and, you know, having businesses I hate and having clients I hate and, you know, all, all the stuff, right, that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, basically when I was 15 years old, I started my, my first proper business. I mean, there were a few kind of things as many have, but my first proper business was a web design business at 15 and I ran that through high school and then that kind of uh, pivoted on into I then had an IT company with my dad for eight years, which we we, uh, built up and sold. Um, During that period of time, I bought a gift basket business. I wanted to do something completely different. So (laughs) I had a very tech background, right? As you're probably picking up, I taught myself to code at, I don't know, 13 or something. I can't remember the exact age, but I've always been very techie. I've always been self-learning driven. And 
um, I wanted to try and do something different. So I bought a gift basket business with the purpose of trying to build it up to then sell it again. Yep. Um, so that was, you know, that was when I had my first experience of casual staff and stock that can go out of date. Like, did you know that, you know, if you sell food goods, if they're going to go out of date in a few months, you can't put that in a basket that's going out. <laughs> right? yep. um, so you've got to, you've got to be keeping your eye on how you, the stock and what, you know, make sure the staff are putting the right stock in the basket and not, not getting the stuff that won't be expired for ages. And yeah, that was, that was a, a lot of learnings. I also um, put in that business as the kind of the operations manager, my best friend at the time. And I also oh, learned, yeah. learned valuable lessons around mixing friendship and business and how that doesn't always work out. Thankfully, uh, you know, my, my mate and I are now on really good terms, but there was, <laughs> there was definitely probably a, a period of a few years that we were not as um, friendly as we, as we once were. And, and I can, I can tie it back to uh, kind of things that happened during the, the business. Yeah. Time together. So yeah, I've, 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 you know, had some businesses, I've sold some businesses after selling the IT business in particular, I'd written a book in, in 2010 called red means go. You can find it on, on Amazon if, if, people are interested yeah um it i wrote that book and all of a sudden i I wanted to shed this geeky version of me i'd I'd always been this young techie guy but i was you know bullied as a kid the usual story that because it wasn't cool to be techie when i was young okay it's kind of cool to be techie now it's cool now yeah it's like kind of hip and fun it, it was not cool when i was uh going through my schooling years and and so i was a single man at the time and I would, as an in my IT business, I'd be going to these offices uh, where there were single, attractive uh, women in this uh, in these offices, and and I felt like they just looked at me as this geeky tech dude, and and not not as someone that was an equal. That was the story I told myself, and yes. not saying it's reality, but that's the story. The that story I told we tell ourselves, yep. And so I wanted to shed myself of that, and that was part of part of the reason, not the only reason, part of the reason we sold sold the IT business because I'd written this book. I'd gotten my first speaking ever opportunity and I was a terrible speaker back then. Um, and all of a sudden I, I wanted to be this big, important business guy. I kind of got caught up in my ego. Okay. And, and, and so after the IT business, I really had a big uh, identity crisis, I guess, of if anyone listening has sold a business before that you've spent years and years building, you very quick like it's your identity. It's who you are, especially in the beginning. Like you, you identify so closely with your business. And so when, when you get rid of it, you, you it's almost like you lose a part of yourself. And when, and, and when you lose it too, cause as a mental health clinician, wherever there's loss, there's grief, whether or not it's spoken about or unspoken, it's still there, you know? Mm, and when, so, when, did you, when did you say like that happened? Do you mean like, again, totally. I, I just, I, I, I floundered for, for years. I floundered. I tried all sorts of different things. Like, you know, I tried to be a life coach. I was going and speaking and doing a lot of free speaking, uh, which was great. I enjoyed that, but, but ultimately didn't make me any money. Yep. Um, I, I, I started to get into business stuff and I, tr- I was for a while, um, the, you know, I don't know if you, do you have a rule around swearing on, on your no, podcast? No, no rule. Okay. Well, I, I, for a while I had business cards saying I was the get shit done guy. Okay, um, yeah. You know, I had business cards saying, do you want a friend with Ben? Social media. Like, I kind of had all these things going on and not, nothing was sticking. And then eventually I, I think it was a Tony Robbins event, actually. He kind of motivated me to the point or, or got me to commit to do something that I'd been wanting to do for a while. I'd been thinking about it. But I didn't feel I had the, uh, what's the word? You know, self. I suppose I didn't believe that I was worthy. Yeah, you know, a lot of which and, is and uncommon. Coaching, yeah, it, especially in the coaching world, there's a lot of people who feel like 
you know, they don't, they, they've got that fraud complex of feeling like that, uh, do they really have the right to, yeah. to say that they're an expert on this? And, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to teach other people, other entrepreneurs, the way I viewed business. And, and the way I view business even now today is, is more as a product rather than as a part of your identity, as a thing that you do, right? A, a business is something that in itself can be bought, can have value added to it, can be sold. And that, that's a big part of what makes a business work without you, right? If you think of it in those ways, then part of making a business saleable is making sure that you don't have to be tied to the sale. To the sale, 100%. And, and, and so that's when I launched at the time Business Builds Academy. And I was running seminars around Australia, teaching people how to buy businesses. And I was kind of teaching them that concept. It was about that I ran this seminar called How to Buy a Business for a Dollar because it was all about the story of how uh, I had negotiated a cafe that was for sale and I'd gone in there and I'd negotiated a deal to, to buy it for a dollar. And so that was kind of the premise of it. And then in the, in the seminar, I was then sharing that story and sharing the general principles that I believed about how do you go about buying a business and how do you then add value and then sell it. And so then at the end of that, I was, I was selling some programs to, to help coach people through that process. And that, and that started to actually go quite well. And I was enjoying, enjoying that process. And, um, then ultimately, I, I joined a coaching program, a good friend of mine, Taki Moore, who, who coaches coaches. So if you're a coach out there, uh, you know, if you're not familiar with Taki, check out his stuff. But when I joined uh, Black Belt, his coaching program, I, I was surrounded by other coaches who weren't asking me tips about how I was doing business. They were asking me how I was doing all my automated emails and how I was doing all the, the tech things that I did to fill my events and to, to automate the show ups to my events and send the SMSs and do the emails and build basically all the tech side of things. That's what everyone in the room was asking me for help on. And so I ultimately decided that, you know what, the, the, the better thing, the better fit for me, I had to, had to kind of realize that, or I suppose I had to now accept that I'm okay with being a techie person. And, gotcha. So you went right? back to the, mm. the tech world. I had to kind of embrace that, you know what, that's a natural skill. That's a natural part of my genius is that I, I naturally, things that people struggle with on the tech side of things just make absolute perfect sense to me. And so that's when I, I quit coaching. There were a number of reasons as well. Like um, I, I had a number of students who did really well, but I had a lot of other people who were partly because of the, the branding of how to buy a business for a dollar that were coming and all they really had was a dollar to their name. And yes, it is possible to buy a business for a dollar. It's definitely possible. Uh, generally, if you're buying it for a dollar, you're going to need some working capital to fix it, right? Like it, <laughs> you're going to either have to bootstrap or yeah, crowdfund it or something. Cause it's, it's not yeah. something that if you've only got a dollar that cool, you'll buy a profitable business. That's very rare that that happens. Um, so, you know, there are the people who were successful were buying businesses for like 20 grand that were worth a hundred grand, things like that. So those are ones successful, but there, there were far too many people who didn't fall in that category that I'd attracted. And so, um, Quitting coaching and just starting automation agency as a done-for-you agency is kind of the, the, the journey that got me essentially to here. And uh, not, that was, I think that was about five years ago now, I started automation agency. And to, just to share as well, like when I, even though I know all this and I've been in business so long, when I started automation agency, I made all the same mistakes. I set it up as a business that couldn't work without me. Mm-hmm. I built a business that revolved around me. We did projects. You got on the phone with me. I did the sales. I then, when if you if you 
uh, said yes to a project, I was the one that kind of project managed the whole thing. For uh, Sometimes I would use copywriters. Other times I would write the copy for the clients. Like I just built this business that so much revolved around me. And it was one day that I was having a, con- a conversation with a friend when it really hit me. I think I, I can't remember what we were talking about, but I know that it came from that conversation where all of a sudden I was like, what am I doing? I'm, you know, I used to teach people about building a business you could sell. There's no way I could ever sell this business. Like, what am I doing? Have I forgotten everything that I believe in? And uh, that was the moment I, that I switched our business model to what exists still today. Um, you know, I think uh, four, four and a half years later. And uh, that's what we call our concierge model. It's a flat monthly fee people pay and they get access to our team of graphic designers, WordPress developers and marketing automation gurus who just implement what you want. Because that was one of the things I, I recognized that one of the core parts of my business that involved me was the strategy piece, was the advice and helping clients and giving people more of the strategy, not the implementation. That was fine. I could teach people to do that. What I struggled was finding someone who was better than me at giving the advice on what someone should do in their business and helping them come up with what their lead magnet should be and what the copy should say and what the funnel should design should be. And that while that was super valuable, it meant that I had to charge a much higher price or I had to find someone who could do what I did. And the reality was in my business model that the people who would be really good at as well, as maybe not quite the same level as me or maybe even better than me, who knows, those people generally were running their own show. They didn't want to come and work for me. And if they did, they'd want huge amounts of money. Uh, and so I just thought, you know what, what if I remove that from the business completely, throw it away put that back on, on the client that, you know, their job is to, to know their business and be learning elsewhere. And that was kind of what informed it. And I said, how could we just offer it at a no brainer, low price? And uh, that was the birth of concierge service, which is the core part of automation agency today. So that's a long, uh, long, but it could have been longer way of summarizing 18 years in business. But I think it's going to be important because again, it gives the listeners a broader view of where Carl Taylor started, some of the things you had to go through and how you've come out the other side to be able to truly have a business that works without you. And that's going to be important because if people just kind of heard some of the questions we're going to ask, it might not be so relatable. So I think it is super important to have that initial conversation to kind of create the foundation of where we're going with, you know, building a business that works. And I guess one of the first questions that I want to ask you today is that you said the um, at We Are Podcast that you had a mentor that gave you a definition of business that changed your world. And I'd love you to share that with everyone because I think that's going to kind of start the, the, uh, the conversation about how to build a business that works without you. Totally. Yeah. So I already mentioned his name actually um, earlier when we we're talking about the books. His name was Brad Sugars. Um, so he was an Aussie or is an Aussie, but he now lives in Vegas in, um, yeah, in the US. Uh-huh. And he, he started a business called Action International, which is now known as Action Coach. And so basically when I was 20 years old, yeah, 20 years old, I think, I was running the IT company. I got a cold call that changed my life. Um, I answered the phone, had an office in the front of my, my parents' place because I was still living at home at 20. And uh, we had our office and I answered the phone. And this guy on the other end goes, hi, is, uh, I'd like to speak to the business owner. I said, oh, yeah, you know, proudly and confidently. Yeah, that's, that's me. That's You're speaking me, to him. Yeah. And, uh, and he goes, great. Uh, so I, I saw your advertising in the yellow pages, uh, that, you know, that gives you a context to <laughs> what, what we were advertising in back then. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I saw your advertising in the yellow pages. I'm just curious, like, how's it going for you? I said, oh yeah, it's going well. And he goes, oh great. So how many leads did you get this week from it? 
And I was like, uh, I don't know a few. He's like, a few? Like, do you, do you know specifically? I said, oh, not really. He goes, don't you think that's, as a business owner, that's something you should know? And he had me. It was like, oh, okay. But now I knew he was about to try and sell me something. So yeah, then, of course, it's coming. You're like, it's coming. Yeah. So then, of course, he's like, oh, I'm invited, you know, come to a breakfast for $20 or whatever it was. Come to this breakfast. It's just to, well, we'll be sharing some tips about business. And I, that's when I bailed and said, oh, look, I really think you should speak to my, my business partner, my father. Uh, to, 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 I just was like, all right, I'm bailing on this. He's trying to sell me. I'm feeling uncomfortable. Anyways, um, he did call back and he did talk to my father. And my father decided to go to the breakfast. And at the breakfast, he then decided to sign up to this thing called group coaching, which was this 12-week course with, I think, five other businesses in the area. And uh, for me, that really changed my world because the action coach principles, which come uh, originally, well, from Brad Sugars and then you know, Brad Sugars got them from all sorts of other places too, but really changed things because the action coach or action international definition of a business is a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. Mm-hmm. And that, that had at a very early stage in my business career, I mean, I'm five years in of, uh, as Brad would say, it is like, you know, you didn't, you didn't have five years of experience in business. You had one year of business that you just repeated five times. Mm-hmm. And, and so hearing this idea that a business, a true business isn't a business unless it works without you was earth shattering to me. It was like, wow. I, I mean, the, the, I, the concept that a business could work without me hadn't even entered my thought. It wasn't even something that was in my awareness. And so since then, I, I then just consumed everything and I, it's become a core part of who I am, uh, not just in business, but in, in all sorts of things. It's like, how do I remove me from this process? How do, if I'm not good at it and it doesn't make things easy for me, it's not, not flowing for me, how do I remove me? How do I get me out of this process so it just works? Um, and that's, that's essentially the, the story of... And was he also the same person? I think you quoted something at the conference that was something like, there's like, do you want to get rich quick or something? And he's like, well, mm. do you have 10 years? Or there was, there was a really yes. cool... Yeah, that. it was so... That, again, that was Brad Sugar's. Like, I can teach you to get rich quick as long as your definition of quick is 10 years. That was it. Yeah, yeah. And I because, thought that was a super great quote because it's so true. Like so many people want the quick fix, but what, you know, you had said at the conference was like, okay, yeah, you, you, you're going to need to give me 10 years. And I think like nine and a half is going to be learning. And then you'll start that, the next six months, you'll start to see some. That's, and that's exactly it. It's nine and a half of, of those 10 years. It's, it's not the doing that's the hard part. It's the learning. It's the learning. And, and it's not even just the learning of the theory right? Because there's learning. You can go read books. I mean, all the content's out there. But have you ever read a book and then come back to that book, read it again and got something completely different from it? It, The book book never changed when that happens. No. (laughs) The only thing that changed was you. And, And so sometimes it's like you get the information you need, but you aren't ready to hear it. So the, 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 the nine and a half years of that 10 year journey or however long, for me, it was a little longer than 10 years. I think it was about 12, maybe I can't remember exactly, but it, it was longer than, I remember it was longer than the nine and a half years for me, but it like that, that journey is so much about your personal growth, changing things you heard years ago. Sometimes there are things that you learned and you knew, and then you seem to forget them for a few years. And then eventually you're reminded of them again. Um, so it, it is definitely a huge part of it is the growth you have to go on, uh, to then be able to then just get on and do the things that need to be done to, to achieve it. it the, the doing is quite easy. It's the, it's the becoming the person who can do it 
is the part that can take a lot longer. And I think that, I mean, it would be a whole nother episode, but I think that's, again, comes for, you know, individuals' mindsets, right? Mm. That, again, your mindset shifts from when you're first starting off as an entrepreneur, you know, again, well, I can't speak that all people, but even a lot of my clients in those infancy startup stages, you know, their mind's a little bit more wobbly, right? They second guess themselves. They're overwhelmed more. You know, not that we don't ever have that as we, as the years go on, but where we, we build the confidence or self-esteem, do you know what I mean, starts to increase. Like everything starts to increase. I don't know. What are your thoughts about how important the mindset shift is over those 10 years? Oh, 100%. Like it, it's all mostly mindset that changes uh, and belief systems that change. Yeah, over the um, time. You, you know, I think, I think the, the thing is like, it's easy when you're at earlier stages in business or, you know, in a certain stage of life financially, it's very easy to go, oh, well, when I achieve X, this problem mm-hmm. will disappear. And, and it may be true that that specific problem will disappear, but problems do not disappear. They just become different <laughs> types of problems, exactly, right? Yes. You know, if you're struggling, you feel like, oh, I need 10 grand this month to be able to pay my bills. Well, imagine when you've got a wages bill of 100 grand a month, right? Now you, you can be stressing around the exact same problem just with more zeros. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and, and the same thing on the million scale. So Problems won't go away. The, the, and, and being human nature of doubting yourself, wondering whether you're making the right decision, none of that goes away no matter what. There is definitely, though, a level of competence that the more you make decisions, the more you've done, the more data your brain has, that you can make certain decisions quicker and faster and easier with more confidence. But there'll still always be other areas that, you know, things that probably you, Ange, are stronger at than I am that I would really question myself on and you would just get on and do and vice versa. There's things that I would just instantly make a decision about because I've got the neural pathways and data that allows me to, to make that confident decision, whereas you don't and then on and vice versa. So that, that's the thing is just always remember that this journey of business is individual um, and that's exactly what it is. It is a, a journey and it's an exciting journey and I think everyone on it is uh, really powerful and brave to do it. And um, not everyone can, can, can cut it. So if you're still in it, well done. And um, yeah, but just remember that, that it's, it's, it is very much, you've heard it before, but it's not about the destination. It really is the journey you go on and who you become in the process that is most powerful about, about business to me. And that, yeah, it is, it's a journey and there's pros and cons and ups and downs. And one of the things too that really stuck with me though, uh, that I want to talk a little bit about is at the conference you made a pretty bold statement. I had to actually like read it back in my, cause I was writing down on my notes and I had to read it back. I was like, did Carl just say that? And then I was like, read it again. And I was like, okay, I got it. Right. But one of the things that you said, and some people out there, you put, you could potentially shit yourself or fall off the chair, but you said is, um, is that if your business doesn't work without you, it's a job. But mm-hmm. if that is the case, you don't actually have a business. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. So I want you to elaborate a little bit more for those people. Like, what is he talking about? Like, no, I own my business. But you were like, no, you're pretty adamant. No, that that means you have a job. And like you said, a lot of your friends are, you know, making six, seven figures, but they're still in a job. Can you, can you, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what that means to you? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think, you know, it goes back to, to that action definition of a business, a commercial profitable enterprise that works without you. If yep. you think about that, that a business is an entity that essentially can work without you, that you are uh, at the minimum, you're the owner, meaning that you're like the captain of the ship, you're directing, you're, you're kind of setting the map of where you're going, you're making some key decisions, but you're not in any way involved in the day-to-day. Uh, that's kind of the owner level. Or you move up into more the investor level where purely all you're doing is providing resources to that, that business in terms of 
uh, either advice or money, capital, um, maybe just capital. Like if you invest in the share market, you're an investor providing just capital. And, and, and so that is a business that works without you. When you're investing in shares in the, in the, in, and buying shares in a company, well, now you are owning a business. You're owning some shares in a business. But when you're doing consulting, if you are a coach, if you are a service-based business or even a product-based business and you're very much involved in the customer service and the basically anything day-to-day that's not just strategic on the business stuff, then what you have is a job and you are swapping time for money. Like what you think about, you know, the, the definition of a job, uh, some people call it just over broke. And then <laughs> yes. But others say it's, it's, it's the idea of active income. You're swapping time for money. And, and so as, a, as, as you mentioned and as I mentioned, I have some friends that bring in millions of dollars, millions of dollars, and they're pretty leveraged. They don't work that many hours. But I would argue because of their business model that what they have is a highly paid part-time job not a business because their business is tied around their personality and who they are, which makes selling that business not impossible, but very difficult. Difficult. Yes. And uh, plus if they completely remove themselves, it, it becomes this thing that people don't value. I mean, think of Tony Robbins. I'm going to a Tony Robbins event, uh, date with destiny in a couple of weeks. And you know, Tony, Tony Robbins, he's got all these other companies but the Tony Robbins events are very much branded around him. And if and well, when he eventually moves on or chooses to stop doing it, they're already like, if you go to some of Tony's events, he's not there for every day. There's other people who present, but he's, he built it in such a way that it was so much around his personality. Yes. That when he's not there, the value of that business is, is low. So even Tony Robbins in that, in the, he's got other companies I would classify him an owner of, but in the, in the kind of Tony Robbins where he shows up as the talent, he is not, he has a job. That's part of his active income or possibly leveraged income uh, strategies. So that's when I say that if you currently are involved in the day-to-day of your business, you don't have a business, you have a job. I'm not saying that that's bad. Yes. I'm not saying that, you know, that's terrible. All I'm saying is just face the reality that what you have is a job. And, and sadly, the, the bad, the, here is the bad side of that. Sadly, and I've been through this too, so there's definitely no judgment Sadly, a lot of business owners have a really poorly paid job. Mm-hmm. You know, they're getting paid like $3 an hour for the hours that they're putting in. Uh, they're getting, some of them are like, getting paid zero. <laughs> exactly. Like they're getting paid less than if they would have just stayed at their other corporate job that potentially, I mean, yes, they hated it and all that. But, you know, and that's where I guess I don't know what your thoughts are. There was, I haven't seen it as much, but there was a big push earlier, maybe a couple of years ago, where people are like, leave your nine to five, just quit. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You're going to make millions. And I'm like, actually, no, like I worked my job for many years up until two and a half years ago. And, you know, but I was strategic about it. I had four weeks annual leave, two weeks sick leave, one RDO a month. I bought four weeks purchase leave, right? So in that particular moment, all my other bills were paid. And then during those times off, my, I was able to still grow my business, right? Mm. But again, it was, I mean, that was a choice. But for those people that are leaving those nine to fives thinking that they're just going to get rich, some of them actually are making, it's a, a really big detriment. It messes up with their marriage, potential mental health problems, um, bankruptcy for some people I've heard of, you know, like it is a, it's a big thing. Yeah, I, I think I think people who are prepared to do it, kudos to having the the guts uh, and and the ability to take that risk. Um, look, it's hard for me to say because I've never really had a full time job to then leave. Yes, uh, so I can't put myself in their shoes. What I would say is there are the number of times 
and I'm thinking about it like literally on MasterChef, someone said it the other day, and I said, I turned to my partner and I said to her, I said, because uh, he basically the person on the TV said, oh, you know, I really want to work for myself. Like he had some high paid job, um, but he wanted to become a chef and, and be his own boss. Yes. And and the way he said it, I just turned to my partner and I said, bullshit. He has no idea what's involved. Like he likes the idea. I reckon he's going to hate it. Good uh, kudos for him. I think he'll love being a chef, but I think he'll hate being his own boss. I just I can just sense it in the way he's doing it because I've just I've met those people over the years that you know I don't want to discourage if anyone's listening and they're thinking about. It, I don't want to just absolutely. I think business is one of the best things you can ever do. Uh, I just want to set the precedent though that not. I used to believe everyone could cut it in business. I truly used to believe that. And I've I've now no longer believe, I believe everyone should try running their own business, 100%. I now no longer believe that everyone has the risk appetite, the the various different traits that make being able to run a business bearable. Uh, It's lots of highs and lows. And, uh, you know, if you like security, then it's probably not the best thing for you to do. You're better <laughs> off. You're better off going and getting a job, maybe in a startup, and getting getting some sort of a steady, secure uh, salary. And that's one thing I would say that if I was to go and do my time again, I was 15, and I just kind of plowed straight into business. If I was to have my time again, what I would have done is I would have gone and got lots of jobs to learn all the various different parts because I had to learn on my own money. I had to make my own mistakes. When, when you're in a job and you're employed, if you're in a job that you're learning nothing and it's not going to help you with your long-term plan to run a business, then mm-hmm. I think that's a, it's a waste of being in that job. Get out of it. But if, if you're in a job where you're learning skills and you're being paid to learn that will serve you in the future with what you long-term want to do, stay there. Learn as much as you can. Move around. Like Get sales jobs so you can learn sales. Go and work in the bookkeeping and accounting arm of some business so you can learn more about the finance side of business. Um, go and work in customer service so you can learn how to handle you know, pissed off clients. Um, you know, If you're planning on being in a product-based business, go and work in a warehouse and learn how warehousing works. Uh, just go and get lots of these jobs that are going to give you the skills where you're not making their own mistakes. You're learning on someone else's money. That's something that I would have done differently if I was to do my time over. So that would be my piece of advice to anyone listening who's on the edge about switching is just think strategically about what would be best. Yes, run the side thing, build up the business. But uh, if you need security, if you need cash flow, make sure that you've got some sort of cash flow coming somewhere and make it be a worthwhile, not just income, but a learning that will help you too. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree because. Attention, women in business, get ready to ignite your success and elevate your game. Join me for an exclusive three-day women in business conference from October 31st to November 2nd at the breathtaking Gold Coast, Australia. Designed exclusively for online business owners, service-based business owners, coaches, consultants, and course creators. What to expect at this amazing three-day Women in Business Conference? Expect an immersive experience filled with fun, empowering keynote speakers, interactive workshops, networking opportunities with other successful business owners, gain valuable insights, forge meaningful connections, and leave inspired to take your business to new heights. 12 speakers have already been announced with five more speakers being announced shortly. We have Steph Taylor joining us, Anita Seek joining us, Lisa Cordiff joining us, and not to mention Manny from Sound Healing Australia, who will be there for the most magical sound healing experience ever. You do not want to miss the event of the year for women in business. To secure your ticket, head to AngelaHenderson.com.au today. It is, yeah, I did a podcast about the 10 things, uh, 
entrepreneur, 10 things you don't ever hear about being an entrepreneur. And I was like, it was like, man, number one, this shit is hard as fuck, first of all. And I was like, I pretty much, but I, I laid pretty much 10 things, you know, that, and I don't even remember what episode it is, but I'll reference it in the show notes. But yeah, it is. It's like, these are the reality, 10 realities of being an entrepreneur that nobody talks about. Right. Mm. And it, I think it is important. If you've got any doubts, you kind of like, you know, maybe to stick with what you're doing or look for a change within that. But yes. Now, I guess when we talk about this, so You've got, I think, 37 employees that you have with Automation Agency. Has that increased since when I last saw you? I think that's still the right number. So I, I, yeah, I think so. I think it's it's around that number. I know it's around that number. And, and at We Are Podcast, what I guess I really want to hone in now is about building the business that works without you and that little triangle that you drew on the white piece of paper with the black marker and blue marker. And that, to me, has been one of the most powerful things that I've learned probably in the last 12 months. So kudos to you. And like I said, I share it all the time with everyone. And this is what I really want you to talk about. Is, and I think you called it the four stages of removing you from the business. And I I'd love for you to be able to walk us through each of these stages. Um, but I guess before you walk us through those, I just want to kind of preempt it for everyone. Are these four stages that you're about to talk about from removing you from your business able to be applicable to any business or just personal brands? Or I just want to like kind of caveat. So if they're listening, they, they kind of know if it's relatable to them or not. No, this is a hundred percent. This is this, I mean, another way of, of putting it, you know, the, the, that diagram, I, I've been play, playing with different names. And the other way of putting it is it's the entrepreneur's journey. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not specifically down to what type of business. This is just the typical path that most entrepreneurs will go through. And 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 the the thing is, it's they're all in front of you. If you're in your own business right now, or uh, you know, job slash business, but if you're if you're running your own thing right now, your all of these stages are in front of you. What often happens though is that bus- people get stuck at a certain point. And they just stop there because either they don't know that there's more levels above them or just because it all gets too hard and that's just where they they get stuck. So, yes, this applies to any business, service businesses, product-based businesses, personal brands, coaches, uh, agencies, consultants, professional services, whatever. All right, perfect. So now that we got this, this is going to be applicable to any of the listeners out there. I guess I want to pretend, again, if you were to, if you're driving, don't do this, but if you're just sitting there listening or visualize, do you mean a triangle? Am I correct? A triangle. And it's going to have four stages, the bigger one on the bottom, and then we're going to slowly work our way to the the top, the one that's going to have the less space. So can you walk us through what each triangle, you know, are we starting at the top? We're starting at the bottom. How are we going to do this? I know, but the listeners don't know. Yeah. So so if if you're, if you wanted to, to follow along and draw, what you would essentially draw is you would draw yourself a biggish triangle, not not super small. And what you would do is then you would add like levels to that triangle. Like you'd put lines in that triangle and there'd be four lines. So that this triangle is broken up into four different sections. There's like a big piece at the bottom. There's a, a smaller piece a bit on top, kind of like laying slabs. If you were to look at like a pyramid, a, a pyramid, you'd just be looking at it from those different slabs and levels. Uh-huh. That's, that's what you'd be looking at from a drawing. And we'll start at the bottom. Like where we go is we start, usually when we get into business, we start in what, what I call self-employed, right? You are usually running the business solely yourself. Whether you've bought into something like a franchise, whether you started the business, typically the way you would be defined is self-employed, meaning it's, it's a business of one or maybe it's a business of two or three partners who have come together, but you're ultimately all your quote unquote own boss, right? Yep. And, and that feels fun and exciting and it, it truly does. And it's, it's some of the best time in business because that's before all the reality starts to set in. Uh, the challenge is that the longer you're in that 
what happens is you are wearing so many hats. You're in overtime mode. You're working so many hours because if your business actually succeeds and starts going well, which I hope it does, what will happen is, well, you're wearing the hat of being the salesperson. You're wearing the hat of being customer service. You're wearing the hat of being the accounts person. You're the one chasing bad debtors. You're wearing the hat of marketing. You're wearing the hat of graphic designer. You're wearing the hat of web designer. You're wearing the hat of content and social media and you're basically doing everything. And so in this self-employed stage, uh, it's just like you're on the, it's almost like you're on a seesaw, right? Where it's chase the work, now go do the work, chase the work, now go do the work, chase the work, go now do, go do the work. And so you're just kind of never ending exhaustion. That's kind of where we, where we start. And, and, and the next level that we have to kind of get to is we go, okay, well, I'm trying to do too much. Maybe finally there's some money coming in. So you start to employ other people. It might be through by hiring freelancers. It might be getting uh, part-time people. It might be getting casual staff. It might be bringing on full-time staff locally or it might be getting offshore staff. It doesn't really matter how you're bringing these people in. When you're in the self-employed stage, you might hire a few outsourced services like a bookkeeper and things. I would still classify you as self-employed. You're not really managing those people. But when you start to directly be managing these other people you bring in to do key parts of your business, that's when you move from being self-employed to being a manager. So level two, you would write the word manager. And, And when you're in manager mode, you're no longer working overtime because you're actually starting to get a bit of leverage. You're starting to have either things that weren't getting done are now starting to be done because there's someone to do it. Uh, or you've been able to take some of the things off your plate and give them to others. So now you, you don't have to be as overtime, but you're still working full time. You're still very much in the business day to day. Taking a holiday is still, prob- still generally going to require that the whole business shuts down. I mean, that's one thing I didn't mention on self-employed. Typically, you're the type of business owner that you want to take a holiday. You're, you're, you're calling all your clients saying, hey, I'm taking a holiday for a week. Don't don't call me. Or don't call hope, me. Don't hopefully talk to there's me. no emergencies, right? Like your business shuts down for that week. And when you get to manager level, you know, sometimes you might have a few staff that can keep things going, but generally, even at that level, you're still finding that you have to kind of shut down the business in some way. You know, stepping away from your business for too long is, is dangerous. You might take a day off here or there and things are okay, but it's not smooth sailing, right? When you step away. So the full time, you know, when you're in this manager level, instead of being on a seesaw now you're on a merry-go-round that you're kind of like putting out fires because when you start to hire people they're (laughs) gonna inevitably going to screw up they're gonna make mistakes as as well as you've defined it or you think you've explained it or trained the person they're gonna do something not the way you would have done it it's not their business they don't have the same buy-in and same level of care it's just the reality it's it's you know you can get good people and bad people there's definitely uh uh, things you can do to improve the odds of the people you get. But there is a certain reality that as the owner of the business, you have a certain level of stake in the business that generally most employees, uh, freelancers, subcontractors, whatever, uh, don't have. And, and so there'll be fires that you're kind of now not only doing the day-to-day that you do, maybe you're great at sales, so you're the salesperson while you've got other people doing other things, you're still also going to be the one dealing with the mistakes that the other person makes. And... So you've got a bit more time, which is great, but you're still very much in the business. So in your self-employed and manager level, you're kind of below. And this is where I would say like you've probably heard other people, maybe even Ange has said it, but the idea of you got to work on your business, not in your business, right? You, you You probably heard that. 
The problem is a lot of people say that and I think a lot of people say it and don't actually, who say it, don't actually understand the concept of it themselves, which is why they can't explain it clearly. That when you're in that level, like it's, it's very much an 80-20 where 80% of your time is spent in the business and 20% of your time is working on the business. That, that's just the reality. Like if you're in a manager and self-employed uh, level, that's where majority of your time is going. You, you know, some of you might be a little bit more 50-50, but you'll find that most people will fall within that Pareto principle. 80% of their time is working in the business, dealing with things day to day, and then only 20% of their time is able to focus on things like growing the business, strategic direction, uh, hiring, the kinds of things that are going to help going to push their business forward. Yeah, I would, I would 100% agree. And again, they're not able to be the visionary. They're just because there's no room to be a visionary and look at the CEO, you know, I kind of acting more in that CEO role because they still have to invoice. They still have to train people. They still, there's a variety, like their list is still endless about all the things that they still need to do in the business to still make it workable. Exactly, exactly. And so this is, when I said before that there's, this is where certain people kind of don't know there is more. They get stuck. This at level is this two. is gen- yeah. This is generally where people get stuck. Is they they get to some sort of level of this manager. They've started to employ people. They start to feel like I've got a real business because I'm employing people, um, and they have more of a business than they did when they were self-employed. That, that's definitely true. But they still don't have a business that can work without them. If we go back again to that definition, it's like you still now have maybe a more part-time job. But let's face it, it's it's still a full-time job even at the manager level. It's a full-time job, and so. This is where people just get stuck. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like if you're happy with what you do and you love, like let me stress that, that I am not coming on this and saying that if you work hard and you put in lots of hours, that that's terrible. I have no problem with that if you enjoy it. If though it's exhausting and for most entrepreneurs that I meet, one of the key reasons they always wanted their own business is they, they valued freedom. They freedom. wanted time. They wanted to be able to spend more time with their family. They wanted to be able to spend more time with their kids. They wanted to be, yes, maybe they're working from home so they can be with their kids, but then they're sitting there on the computer all, all day or they're on the phone all day and they're not actually out in the park or whatever they want to be doing uh, with their family. And so if that's you, then what you really want to look at doing is how do you move from manager to owner? And so, to, that's what the, the third level is, to get to an owner. And an owner is really where, at a bare minimum, I would like to see more business owners get to because that's mm-hmm. what you really wanted, right? Because as an owner, instead of now working overtime as a self-employed or working full-time as a manager, you now actually have some free time. As the owner, you're purely, your job now is purely to be the decision maker of core key decisions is to kind of set that map to the journey, to be the visionary, as you called it, to, to kind of sit around and think about, well, what's going on in the marketplace? What needs to happen next? What's the biggest problem in the business right now that needs to be solved? You might not be the one to solve it. You just might be the one to identify what the biggest gap and problem is. And then you can go to the various team members or managers or leaders you have to say, hey, we need to fix this problem. And you become more of a consultant and an advisor to your own team who go on and do that. You're no longer, in the owner stage, you're no longer tied to the day-to-day. You're not 100% out. I will make it clear that if you're the owner of the business, generally you're still going to get involved. There's still going to be fires that come up that are over and above what your operations managers or whoever you've got in place can maybe handle or maybe just you've got still got some old personal relationships with some key clients and it's really good for the CEO or owner to come in and and kind of deal with that personally but instead of an 80-20 where 80% of your time is spent in the business and 20% on the business if you're at the owner stage 
you're spending maybe 10% of your time in the business, you know, dealing with a customer complaint or, or taking on some feedback or, you know, talking to clients and hearing, you know, their feedback on what's good and what's not working. And then 90% of your time is spent working on the business when you're actually putting time into the business. And that's a real flip. And I've got to say that when you get to that level, there is a huge amount of freedom that that brings that is overwhelmingly positive. But what a lot of people won't tell you, and if you are at this level, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. What happens is you become dangerous. When you have that much free time and your business no longer needs you, you get bored. Bored, <laughs> yes. And when you get bored, you need to feel needed. And so what happens is you can start to break things, change things, add things that sometimes are actually quite good for the business, which is great. But other times, they can be quite detrimental to the business, completely unnecessary. And when you really reflect on it, you realize the only reason you're wanting to change things is because you were bored, not because clients told you <laughs> there was a problem, not because the team said there was a problem, just because you decided that marketing strategy doesn't work anymore because it's boring or just because you, know, you think that product's tired or whatever. And you start changing things rather than getting based on feedback. And so so what can happen when you get to this owner level, if you don't find a way to move from owner up into the next level, uh, you start to break things and it can be the downfall. And I've struggled with this, uh, knowing when ideas I have are smart strategic ideas versus Carl is bored ideas. Um, <laughs> And, and I don't, I, it's hard for me to give you advice of how to tell the difference. I haven't found a formula or created a formula to know the difference. I, it's more an intuitive knowing and, and asking the question of, well, where is this data coming from? Is it just a gut feel or do I actually have some, some evidence and data to tell me that this is a smart decision? Um, I also very much, I, I very much include and talk to um, my entire team. Like I, I I, I always tell my team that no one has all the answers. I have no idea. Like if I throw out an idea to you, I want you to challenge me on it. I want you to tell me why it's a bad idea. I want you to tell me everything that's wrong with it because only through that will we make sure that we don't implement stupid ideas. Mm -hmm. um, but the next level up, when you get to owner, like you want to get into investor because when you get to the investor level, you, this is where you stepped out purely from any day to day. You're now 100% working on a business and this is where you're now kind of having fun. Instead of free time, you now have fun time. You get to do whatever it is you want okay, to can do. Can I just ask one question in regards to the Please. owner and leader? So we've got, I just want to recap for everyone. So that kind of bottom tier is we've got the self-employed and they're working overtime in the business. Then we're moving up to the managerial role and that's kind of, they're still working full time. We've then moved up into the owner slash leader role. Um, what is the time frame that I think you, um, at We Are Podcast, you called it SP? SP. I can't remember what it was. And it's going to be because you, you had each of a thing, like you said, overtime, full time. I think it was SP. Oh, SP would have been spare time. Spare time. Yep. yep. And then the next one I think you said is this next the last kind of top level, which we're going to start talking about is the investor slash advisor level is more your fun time. I think you called it FT. Yeah, 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 fun okay, time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, cool. So yeah, yeah I, I've just said free time this time, but obviously when I when yeah, I yeah. did it at, at We Are Podcast, I said spare time. The, yeah. the, basically, when you're the owner, the, the the thing that you now have that you didn't have on the other stages is time. Mm -hmm. That's the key thing. You now have a lot more time on your hands, which is both powerful, but can you know idle hands can can lead to all sorts of problems. Yeah. So so you need to start being able to direct that energy into other things. And that's why I say like if you're in that owner level, what you need to start looking to do is what I say install distractions. 
it's not actually, uh, we should maybe backtrack a bit. Like if you're self-employed right now and you're going, well, how do I go from where I am to manager? What you need to do is you need to install automation. So when I think of automation, I'm not just talking about uh, system technology automation. I'm talking about human power or uh, human people automation, right? So automation is just you not doing it. That might be through people. It might be through tech. But you need to start from self-employed to manager. You need to start installing automation through tech and people. When you're at the managerial level, and you'll be in the manager level for a while. That's, let me, let's be honest. Like That takes some learning to get used to managing people. You have to learn to become a leader. These are skills that take time. Yes, you can do courses. You can read books. But the reality is you're just going to have to make some mistakes. But to go from manager up to owner, what you need to do there is you need to install operations. This is where you need to learn how to... It's very different to employ people that you manage becomes different when you want to start employing people who are going to make decisions and manage the managers, you know, manage the people and yes. start to run and be the operational and kind of be your, if you like, your 2IC, that your, your left-hand or right-hand person who will be able to take the ideas and be able to help get them implemented and integrated into your business. And, and so you need to start doing things as the team grows as well. How do you ensure that you keep culture and it doesn't shift over time as you grow and get more and more people in the business? So that's kind of why you need to install these operations to get them in the business, better systems, better managers, leadership skills. When you're at the owner stage to move up to an investor, it's really about installing distractions. It's starting to find hobbies that you enjoy or for some of us, for me, you know, I've tried a bunch of different hobbies. Um, I'm doing a dancing competition tonight, which came from doing ballroom dancing as a potential hobby. Uh, I tried to do saber fighting, you know, sword fighting, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, indoor skydiving. I've tried all sorts of different things, right? And the reality is I've realized that for me, I just enjoy business. And so now my hobbies are, or my distractions, uh, we've been launching, expanding into other, other areas of business to build a better ecosystem. You know, I'm working on a course, I'm working on some software, and we've launched a recruitment service for people trying to hire in the Philippines. So that to me is how I've chosen to distract myself, as well as then obviously investing in shares and, 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 and doing advice for other people. But this, what I can't tell you what your distractions will be, but if you're in that phase, you just need to start exploring and finding ways to fill your time, not to completely take it away, because that's actually, this is an important point. Uh, I was thinking about this earlier, actually. Sometimes people might think, well, I, my goal is to get to the owner, then get to the investor, and I'm no longer an owner. I'm purely an investor. And and that's fine. But I think the reality is how most people, how I've done it and how I see a lot of other people do it, is what will happen is you'll have one core business in particular that you get to the owner level and you'll remain in that owner level until such point that you might want to sell the business and completely get out. But generally, you'll probably be happy to continue to be the visionary for that, that business. And that's okay. You can remain in that owner level for that business. And what will start to happen is when you move into the investor stage, now what's happening is you're spreading your income streams across other businesses. You're investing through into other people's businesses, whether that's either privately, directly, or whether that's publicly things through the share market. Uh, you are going to start investing more, providing advice, uh, maybe starting new ventures with other people. That's okay because they're now businesses that are working without you while you remain the owner, which owner. has a business that's working uh, you know, 99% without you as well. Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense. 
And for the, when they get to the last stage, like, you know, um, you know, Jordan Harbinger, a friend of ours, Pat Flynn, you know, they're, they really, they do, they sit on different advisory boards as their kind of distractions. Like it really is endless. There's no wrong or right way as to what your distractions are going to be. It's long as again, you don't go back and start breaking the shit out of everything. Yeah. That, that, that's the thing is that, you know, if, if, if you start breaking things, as your distraction. I mean, that is a distraction. Let's be honest, going and breaking <laughs> things and ma- meaning or, or going and like rebuilding your business from scratch. That's a distraction. It'll keep you distracted. It just could have a very big impact on your personal finances, um, which is not great. I think if you've got something that's working, yes, you've got to be smart and strategic and look to make sure that it's going to continue. But one of the smartest things you can do when you're in the owner level, I think it's it's too much of a distraction when you're in the lower levels. But once you're at the owner level, looking for multiple income streams is a really smart thing you can do where you build these pillars so that if something was to happen to your main business, it doesn't kill you. It doesn't, it doesn't wipe you out and you're not starting from scratch. Uh, I see some people who are very early in their business careers focused on trying to build multiple income streams and do all these things. And then they wonder why they can't get any traction because they're trying to do too much. They're trying to do too much. But I also think sometimes they overwhelm their audience with choice. Like, do I do mm. this? Do I need this? Do I do this? Like, what's going on? So, you know, sometimes I think people need to, again, I say, put it in the toy box. Put it there. Great idea. But let's focus on the foundational stuff we need to do to get this piece working really, really well and getting you out of that equation to then allow you to bring on something new. I think people jump ship genuine fairly early. And and I think that's where the shiny object comes in. Oh, they don't actually complete the initial project. So therefore we can't test to see if it's a viable product or a viable service. And then people say, Oh, it didn't work. Well, it's like, no, I think they jumped too early. Yeah. The, the incomplete bridges is, is a a, a common, uh, what, what we call it, uh, syndrome of, yes. of business owners where they got, you've gone to a seminar, read a book, or just had an idea and you, you, you build the bridge about 50 to 80% of the way. And then something else comes up and you start building a new bridge and, and, you, and you go, oh, it didn't work. But it's, it's the only reason it didn't work is you didn't finish building the bridge to get to the other side. That's the only, the only reason it, it didn't work. And with these four stages, like I can hear some people out there already going, that's fine, you know, but uh, why bother outsourcing? Because I can do it better than the people I hire. Like, you know, again, I hear that all the time. Why? Like, I can just do it better. Like, it took me an hour to, you know, come up with a policy and procedure and, and then they didn't follow it correctly. You know, what are your thoughts around when people say that? Why bother outsourcing? Because I can do it better than the, than the people anyways. My answer to that is you're right. You can probably do it better than they can. Mm-hmm. The difference is that you're doing it. Right. Yeah. And, and it comes down to how you value your time. Like th- that's just a reality. Like there are so many things that I do in my business that I know that I, there are things though I have people who can do far better than me, which is amazing. But there are plenty of things in my business that I know I do way better than, than most of my team. Um, and that, that's definitely a hard thing to, to kind of grapple with. But the reality is that if, if I have a hundred people doing things that, 50% as good, let's just say like 50% as good as I can do, but I have a hundred of those people doing that for an hour. That means I just got like 50 hours worth of work done and I didn't spend a single bit of time, right? Because we had a hundred right. people at 50% of the time, meaning it took them two hours when I could have done it in an hour. But that in that one hour that I could have done it and only got one thing done, I've had 50 hours worth of stuff done. And, and that's the difference. It's leverage. It's the power of... Uh, doing the work once and having it work forever. And 
that's the power of installing automation, whether that's through documenting a process to give it to a human to do, or whether that's through installing automated systems that mean it happens again and again and again and again. But when you can do that investment of the work and time once and then have that continue to go, you never have to think about it ever again. And that, that freedom that it will give you to free up to focus on other important things. Because, I mean, I get that a lot in my business too. Automation agency, right? We have, a, we have two primary. There's two primary types of people that come to us. There's the people who are already doing all their own technical online marketing, email marketing themselves. And they're good at it. And they enjoy doing it. It's actually quite fun for them. Right, they're, they're kind of more wired like me. They're quite technical. Love it. And, then, yep. and then we have the people who are like non-technical. They've gone to a seminar, learned this thing, and they're they're struggling to figure out how to implement it. For those people, it's obvious why they would outsource it because they struggle. They're like, oh yeah, just give it to someone else who can get it done. So that's great. But the people who are like, well, I love doing it. It's good. The conversation I have to have with them and through our marketing and and just even if I meet them, is well, that's all well and good, and it's great. You enjoy it. But how is that holding your business back? What are you not doing because you're busy clicking around in Infusionsoft or Entreport or Active Campaign, setting up that thing, which brought a lot of joy? And I'm not taking anything away from that. But instead of, you know, instead of being on the phone talking to people who wanted to buy your product or being out there coaching more people, you've been busy setting up these things and that's holding your business back. That's that's just the reality of 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 why I would say you you need to start. And I guess you know the, the benefits of being able to again. I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when we first start, we've got OCD characteristics. We've got the perfection in um you know perfectionism in us. I think that's kind of what also makes us really good entrepreneurs at some stage too. But I think it can also be a detriment to us. Mm. But again, is being able to sometimes I think you've just got to let go, and sometimes they're going to do it worse than us, and sometimes we still have to go in and fix it. But once you can get those systems, those policies and procedures in place. The benefit to that is that, again, you can be the visionary in your business. You can look at how you can have a bigger impact in the world if that's what you choose to do. You can look at, again, how you can increase your revenue, right? To be able to have more opportunities to do more things. But if you continue in that day-to-day working in your business and not being able to work on your business, well, then it's, you know, like you said, it's a if you choose to do it and that's what you want, that's fine. But just know that, again, you're not really going to be able to scale do you know what I mean to, to masses? I think you? I think not, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent agree. That, that that's it. Like it's 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 a choice. As everything in life is, it's it's a choice. And uh, if you choose to do it and you enjoy to do it yourself, that's fine. Just be aware of you know the the choice you make, what impact that's potentially having on your business. And, and one thing I would say though, this this is another way of thinking about it that might be unique for some. If you choose to just keep doing it yourself rather than giving it to someone else to do you're robbing them of a learning opportunity. You're robbing them by you going and just go, oh, it's easier for me to do it. I'm just going to do it. You are actually stealing an opportunity for this person to learn and grow and make mistakes. There's nothing wrong with mistakes. We, in Automation Agency, we have a core value that we have no problem with people making mistakes as long as you admit your mistakes and you learn from them. If you're making the same mistake over and over again, we have a problem. If you make a mistake, we celebrate it. We go, look, that's great. What did you learn from it? And that's a key thing that if you don't, allow team members you don't allow other people to make those mistakes they'll you're you're stealing a huge opportunity of life which is learning from them and i also think the learning is getting stolen from you too as the owner or the business owner is that 
you know, so many people avoid making mistakes because they look at it as failure. Whereas I'm, a, you know, people have heard me repetitively that I don't look at it as anything as failure. I look at it. These are the lessons that we need in order for us to step up to the next level. You know, it's like Super Mario, you know, you failed over and over and over again, and finally you got it and you passed to the next level, you know, but it wasn't until you figured out, oh, I needed the mushroom to, you know, on Super Mario to grow. And when I grew, I had this, you know, it's like, it's like this game, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm all about like, I think the more mistakes any of us can make, the more lessons we have. And that's where the growth truly comes from. I think it's, uh, you know, if there is a meaning to life, like, I think that's really it. The meaning is to, is to go through life learning, learning, uh, learning new skills, like uh, challenges will come up and learning to overcome them. That's really, if you look at all life, that's really kind of what it is. A, a challenge comes up and some, some organisms can't adapt and some can, and that's, that's just through learning and just- trial and error. And that's just reality though, too. Like sometimes I think people will sugarcoat it, but it's the reality. What are you going to do? What are the choice you're going to make? You know, mm-hmm. and you got to keep going. Now, listen, for those out there, like, listen, like I said, I have used this diagram so many times. And like I said, I've got to swipe up in my photos to find it all the time because I just think it's great. So again, for those that are there, I just want to kind of recap the triangle. Again, on that bottom level, we've got the self-employed and you're working overtime in your business. To get to the next level, which is that manager role, you need, you'll then go to working from overtime to working full-time. You then move to the next level up, which is that owner-leader space where you're going to be able to work more on your business and then in your business, and that's going to give you that some spare time. And then the last kind of top is that investor and advisor space where, you, again, you'll be able to look at a variety of different things, and that's where your distractions are going to come in, and that's going to give you some free time. Now, if people out there, though, Carl, are like, okay, that's great. I'm currently sitting at the self-employed. I'm wearing all the millions of hats. What's the one piece of advice that you would give people to be able to start working through the self-employment stage and up to the ma- that managerial stage? Like, what do they really need to be doing? Step one, do a stop doing list. Um, yep. You know, a lot of people have to-do lists. This is a list of all the things you need to stop doing. And, and by stop doing, this is basically all the... So you would list out all the things that you do on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever, or on demand. You'd list out all the things you're doing. And what you want to do is you want to find all the things that you hate doing the most. What are the things that most deflate you that most suck your energy don't give you energy keep the things that give you energy and are fun for for now find the things that suck energy from you start with those um what i would also encourage you to do especially if you're in the self-employed stage is you know because people often go well where where should you start who should you hire first my personal belief is uh if you don't already you should definitely be outsourcing or bringing someone in to be a bookkeeper to take care of finance stuff even if you're good at finances uh, I'm actually quite good at finances, but I don't want to do any of that day-to-day bookkeeping. <laughs> yes. You should bring someone else in to just take care of that off your plate. Uh, maybe a bit of admin, calendar management. That's a great thing. You could bring in a, a Filipino VA or you can get a local assistant. Uh, you, just, you can bring someone in part-time or whatever to help manage with some of the admin. That's a good starting point. However, what's going to make the biggest impact to your business from a, from a hiring point of view? Only, and actually, I'll, let me jump back one second. If you're you're looking at who should I hire and your business is busy, you've got more clients and opportunities than you can know what to handle with, admin is a good thing to just all of a sudden free up some of your time so you can keep, you can just take on a little bit more work and you can keep bringing in the growth. If, however, you're in a situation where you're like, you know, not heaps and heaps and heaps of um, sales coming in, admin is not the thing you want to start outsourcing first. You want to outsource the the doing of whatever your product or service is, the fulfillment, the delivery of that. The more you can get that, that's where I would start building automations through people or tech because once you do that, that's going to free you up to spend more focused hours on the marketing. 
and sales so that you can just spend more time bringing in more sales and work. And that's where you're ultimately going to scale. Because if you did go the admin path, the next step in my approach that I think is the better approach is to go to the delivery. A lot of people start going customer service sales. The reality is that even if you suck at sales, you will still always be the best salesperson in your business. I totally agree. You're the one that it's your business, the heart, the passion, everything. No one else will ever be able to replace that. And also, I think you made a big thing there is, and again, is giving people permission, all right, that you don't have to hire local, all right? You can if you choose to, all right? And that's fine. And I, and I have VAs here in Australia, but I equally have VAs in the Philippines because I hire based on job, uh, job description and skill set that is necessary. So my podcast team, I want to have them here in Australia on Australia time, you know, blah, blah, blah. That's just what I choose. But then my people who help, do you know what I mean? In the Philippines, great women, again, and also is that I'm all, you know, again, they've got experience and chances to learn, to be able to grow their family, their own financial situation. So I just like that you also talked about the, that you can hire Filipinos because I know that there are some people, it's particularly I find in Australia who get a little bit funny about that sometimes, where I'm the complete opposite. The way I look at it is whether or not you hire a Filipino VA or an Australian VA, at the end of the day, you're still giving them opportunity to work for themselves. You're giving them opportunity to provide for their family. And to say that a mother in Australia is more important than a mother in the Philippines is like not cool with me. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm like, they're both women or, or men, okay, that need, do you know what I mean, and job opportunities. So thank you for bringing that because I get on my little rant and bandwagon. Um, and that there's a variety, like I think you're starting an agency or, or a model to be able to help people get connected with people in the Philippines. Is that right? Yeah, so we like uh, if if you're in a situation where you're looking to build a, a, a decent size team in an office in the Philippines, then hireavirtualteam.com is where you can find out more about that. If you're more looking just for like a general VA, uh, it's probably like you could definitely talk to us. We do have a recruitment service only um, for like home based. Uh, staff, but generally we focus on a like a pr- project manager operations type person rather than a more general VA. That's kind of where that that person then fits well with something like automation agency. They can help delegate and send tasks to automation agency. They can help work with other vendors. So if that's the kind of person you're looking for, hireavirtualteam.com is yep. where you can go and book in and talk to Julie uh, for, from there. But the one thing I do want to mention about that, I, I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, I, I've come across that uh, even from my own family, when I first started to hire in in globally, people were like, "Oh, why are you doing that? Like, it's it's slave labor, or it's this and that." And and what I found is that it's just a it's just a misunderstanding. And the reality is, we now live in a global economy. Whether whether people like it, whether people feel it's fair, there's there's all sorts of discussions around that, and it's already happening around the world in in politics and whatever. But the reality is we do now live in a global economy. 100%. And, and the thing is that there are, when you give, especially in the Philippines, when you employ someone in the Philippines, you're you're not just employing that person. You're actually um, funding a whole family. Most people 100%. In the, most people in the Philippines, um, you know, they're usually the young younger people and they're paying for their brother to go through college. They're paying uh, a lot of their parents uh, a lot of their parents actually stop working the moment their child starts working. So now they're, they're paying for all the fa- food for the family. They're paying the rent if there's rent or mortgages. They're paying to put their brothers and sisters through university. Um, you're, you're, you are making a huge impact on a community when you do employ someone in the Philippines. I'm not saying you don't make a huge impact in Australia either. Uh, you know, there, there's, there's pros and cons. It's a there. different type of impact. It's, 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 so just understand that it's not a slave labor thing. It's, it's different cost of livings, right? And, and that's just kind of how the, the world works. So if you are on the fence, like obviously 
uh, if you've got your own opinions, that you're, you're welcome to them. Um, but if you're on the fence about it, I would encourage you to to explore a little more, do a bit of learning to understand just the impact that it truly can have, not just to 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 them, but also to your own business. But because, also, yeah. sorry, but I also think like again, in those people who are in the self-employed stage, who may not have, in a, if you're not like able to bring in copious amounts of money through whatever that is. Again, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to hire someone in the Philippines at a lower cost, right? Again, it's not 100%. slave labor. It's at a lower cost that is ex- going to allow you the ability to be able to grow your business and move to the manager role, the owner leader role, etc. But if you're stuck with small finances, like I know at the moment, a few of my clients, you know, finances aren't great, but they know that they need to outsource in order to free up their time. You know, it's a wonderful way. They're like, oh my goodness, this lady did this entire spreadsheet. She went and researched all of this information for me. She She's now making the cold emails for me. And we just freed up one client, do you know what I mean, by 20 hours um, okay. because she, she is paying someone $7 an hour versus $40 an hour, right? So I'm just saying, you know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. on the financial stage also, our point also. Absolutely. And that's it. Like that is one of the biggest um, objections you'll get for, oh, I can't move from self-employed to manager because I can't afford to employ someone. Yes. And, um, you know, that that's where it's like you've got to look at the global economy. You know, we have people who work for us in India. We have people obviously in the Philippines. For a while I had people in uh, Serbia. Uh, I have someone in the US. I have people all around, all around the world and I've tapped into various, you know, countries and, and places around the world throughout the years in my business and, and a good place to start if you're wondering like oh where do I start like you hire a virtual team's great if you're looking for full-time part people but a really simple way to start is to go on a platform like Fiverr Fiverr Upwork two hours Upwork yeah. and, and just post a specific small job or task you need done and you'll be amazed and there's people all around the world people from Australia are on the, those platforms as well so yep. it's not not just you know Philippines and, and and South America and places like that there are people all around the world which will um, kind of auction or bid to, to work on those projects for you. And, and it's, it's a great way of just getting a bit of freedom in those early stages. No, well, thank you, Carl, so much for being on board today. I, like I said, I use your triangle, you know, the four stages of removing you from the business all the time. And I appreciate you. I know you are flat out the majority of the time. I look forward to hanging us, hanging out again with the two of us and everyone else in the Maldives where we just get to hang out and chill. But in the meantime, if people want to connect with you, where can they connect with you or with Automation Agency or any of the other agencies? If you'd like to give a little bit of a plug, that would be great. Sure. I mean, one of the best ways to to find me, I guess, is just to go to carltaylor.com. Uh, from there, you can click through to Automation Agency. Uh, a, a really good way to stay in touch with me, I know, Ange, you're in it. I have a Facebook group. It's free. It's called Entrepreneurs by the Pool. Cool. So if you're, if you're an entrepreneur that's kind of like you, you aspire for freedom, you're looking, you'd love to learn more about how to build a business that works without you, then that's kind of the group to be in where other people are, are wanting the same thing. You can ask questions. I'm in there, obviously. Um, so you can find that easily and quickly. You can go to Facebook and search Entrepreneurs by the Pool or carltaylor.com forward slash pool, P-O-O-L. And um, that'll link you straight there as well. Well, yay. Well, thank you so much, Carl. And remember for the rest of you listening, my team and I will be putting together the whole transcription for this episode at AngelaHenderson.com.au with all of the links. And of course, I cover all sorts of related business and life topics inside my Facebook community, the Australian Business Collaborative. We hit, I think, 5,100 members. So it's a super great community to head on over. But in the meantime, have a fabulous day, no matter where you are in the world. And I look forward to you joining me next week for another amazing episode of the Business and Life Conversations podcast. Have an awesome day, everyone. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to the Business and Life Conversations podcast with Angela Henderson. www.angelahenderson.com.au.